year on the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is uh, an Old Testament book. Nehemiah is an Old Testament character. This takes place about uh, 2,500 years ago. And the city of Jerusalem, the capital city, the holy city of the Jewish people, was in ruins. The walls had been destroyed 140 years before that. Yet this man, Nehemiah, got this vision that he could go back to Jerusalem and he could lead a spiritual restoration and also an opportunity to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's a great story. We've uh, just begun that. Part of that is is for us to take the opportunity to get a dream, to get a vision for our lives and what we can do. Uh, There's been some great songs today already about how that power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us and the opportunity that we have, and actually God's desire that we be able to do great things with our life. I've encouraged you to dream. I've encouraged you to uh, perhaps put together dream pages uh, share them with me if you dare. Uh, that would be great. Uh, I'm encouraged by that and I enjoy that. I've shared some of my dreams with you. I believe there are five things on my dream page uh, right now. I've shared three of them with you. But uh, today uh, we have a, uh, a wonderful, wonderful woman who's uh, been a part of this church, I suppose, for 20 some years. 20 years, yes. Uh, I'll let her share her story in a minute, but you may already know Cheryl's had some very challenging things going on in her life with her family, and yet in the midst of that challenge, she has a, uh, she has a dream, she has a vision that uh, she'd like to share with us today. Cheryl Gaines. Good morning, church. Uh, for those of you who don't already know me, I think it's in order that I introduce myself. Uh, Reese already did. Um, I'll give a little bit of uh, background about myself. Cheryl Newman Gaines, uh, that's my full name. I actually was baptized January 8, 1996. So it would be 20 years uh, plus a few months. Uh, I am a mother of two living children, Olivia Rose, who is 20, and Garrett Christian, who is 15. Uh, 22 years ago, uh, my other son, Christian Hoyt, um, did not make it. He uh, died during childbirth. Uh, I am a wife to Clarence Edward. Um, This year in June, I was one of those June brides, we will celebrate 27 years of marriage. Uh, For the last 29 years, I've been a Los Angeles County prosecutor, and I am a small group leader here in the church. So, on Friday, I was driving to the City of Hope, uh, where my daughter received treatment for her cancer, and I get a call from none other than Reese Nealon. And Reese says, Cheryl, would you be willing to share one item on your dream page and Reese picked it and it did not even make the top five it was actually at the bottom of my dream page list and it's not even my dream it's Olivia's dream so now you're asking so how did someone else's dream get on your dream page Cheryl so I'll tell you I'm a typical mother and what do typical moms do They love and support their children. 
So my dream is to help Olivia realize her dream. So now you're asking, what is Olivia's dream? So many of you already know that on October the 7th of last year, Olivia was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And it turns out that her particular subtype is a rare subtype with a very poor prognosis. Uh, she spent 63 days at Huntington um, Hospital, and during that time, Olivia was inspired in my opinion, by God, because she said that she wants to create a nonprofit organization that will cater to the community of cancer patients. And there are two members in this church who spent hours with my daughter in the hospital, and uh, they helped her to create a web page, live, L-I-V, for F-O-R, dot life. Um, that young man, Eric, Rodriguez Jr., who was up here sharing during the communion, that handsome young man is now a part of my extended family. We love Eric Rodriguez Jr. He is an inspiration. He not only helped Olivia with her webpage, but he talked to Olivia about God. And the other person is John Reed, another person we love dearly. They are a part of our family. In fact, Olivia already has birthday presents for Eric Rodriguez, and his birthday is not even until next month. <laughs> so, Olivia's dream, she uh, wants to create a nonprofit called the Live Institute, and Live is sort of a play on her name because one of her nicknames is Live. So, her vision is to create this um, nonprofit organization to cater and help the cancer community and their families. And so I had to ask her about it. And so here are the components because I am not going to try and memorize that because I am menopausal and my memory will definitely <laughs> fail me. So some of the components, too much information, I know. Um, <laughs> Some of the components of the Live Institute will be uh, mental health counseling because people suffering with life-threatening disorders like cancer get very depressed, and that includes Olivia, um, and some are suicidal. There will be a physical exercise component. Yoga will be big. Meditation and massage. Spiritual guidance counseling. Olivia says, you know, Mom, God's the center of the universe, so God will be the center of the Live Institute. There will be counselors uh, counseling people on a spiritual basis, and I thought of Reese Nealon. It may help him realize one of his dreams, to be self-supporting. There will be an educational component uh, to help people understand what the treatment options are, uh, a medical insurance advocate, persons with life-threatening disorders, Navigating the insurance part of it is very challenging. Insurance companies are in the business of saving money and not people. There will be a nutritional component. In comes Mary Kay Nealon. She envisions my daughter Olivia, that's the she pronoun I'm referring to, envisions having a garden uh, that will produce organic foods for cancer patients. And then oh, the final one on the list, for now, because it's in progress. It's moving. It's going to be changing. But the last one is support for the children 
who have cancer and the children of the adults who have cancer. She envisions having activities and sports uh, for the children. It's a big dream, and I was telling Reese yesterday that it's hard for me to wrap my mind around it because it's so huge, because I'm pretty practical, I'm not creative, and I'm rather boring. <laughs> but big dreams are what God can do. Um, I do want to share with you some cancer facts, and my source is Ken Burns, who uh, produced a documentary on cancer called The Emperor of All Maladies. Cancer is the fastest growing disease in the world. By 2030, as many as 22 million people worldwide will be diagnosed with cancer. In America, 1.7 million people will be diagnosed every year with cancer. Of that number, 600,000 will die each year from cancer. Over the next two years, more will die from cancer than those who died in combat in all the wars fought by the United States. One in two American males will be diagnosed in his lifetime with cancer. One in three American females will be diagnosed with cancer in her lifetime. Nearly everyone will be close to someone who suffers from cancer. Therefore, the Live Institute is a place that will be needed and that will serve the cancer community in a big way. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around it again, but I will say, talking to Reese yesterday made me think about things in our lives. And it turns out that, and I'm not dropping names, but my husband knows many millionaires. Uh, Olivia went to school with many children whose parents are millionaires. Uh, my husband knows and is friends with a billionaire who likes my husband. Um, Phil Jackson has already written an, a big check to Olivia. He asked her, Olivia, what's the favorite charity that you would like for me to write a check to in your name? So, with God, all things are possible. I'll give you a brief update. She has to have stem cell transplant. Uh, she's going to be going into City of Hope on um, March 21st. Uh, she wants you to know, because people do ask, what can they do? You can continue to pray for her. You can give blood. Thank you for allowing me to share, Reese. Thank you, uh, thank you, Cheryl. Yeah, it's a, uh, it is a big dream. And uh, some of us have big dreams. I don't know if any of us would have dreams that big. But, you know, the, if there's anything the story of Nehemiah tells us is that, you know, it's God that's going to make our dreams come true. And he has resources and he has ways that we may not realize and may not even anticipate. And so I believe that if, if this is God's will, 
And we may give ourselves that opportunity and Cheryl and her family do that the Live Institute will become a reality. Um, we're not in charge of how in many ways. Many dreams that I've had or still have today, I maybe over, after a few months I started to figure out a little bit of how. And, you know, we just sort of let, let God lead us and see where it goes. But again, uh, so proud of Cheryl and the family taking a terrible, terrible tragedy, one that none of us would wish would happen, uh, want to happen in, uh, to us or to our family, and look for a way to do something powerful for the good of others. So uh, let's keep praying for Cheryl and the family. Uh, I am going to send out an email through the small group leaders in our church with specific information about how you can give blood because it is very important. Uh, she's going to be going in soon for this stem cell uh, bone marrow transplant. And as many of us as can, we'd like to appeal to you to give blood. So we'll give you all the information about where to go and how to get an appointment and who should give and everything that's involved there. So that email will probably be coming out in the next day or so. And uh, you'll have that opportunity. Amen. Let's uh, let's have a prayer. God, uh, first of all, we want to we want to pray for Olivia. Just pray for her complete healing. Certainly, she's an exceptional young lady who's uh, we hope has many, many more years to live and to make a difference and make great choices with her her life. Um. Just heal her, we pray. We pray this, this surgery upcoming, uh, as intense as it's going to be and even painful as it's going to be and as long as the recovery is going to be, just pray you'd strengthen her emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of her family, and help us all to know how to do our part. And we put this dream before you, the dream of the Live Institute, and uh, we just eagerly wait to see, God, what you're going to do with it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, if you uh, have your Bible, turn over to the book of Nehemiah. That is in the Old Testament. I already mentioned a little bit what the uh, story of Nehemiah is about. So even if you previously unfamiliar with the story, at least you'll know this. There was a guy named Nehemiah who uh, decided to try to assist and maybe even lead the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem that had been down for 140 years. And they actually rebuilt the wall in 52 days. And so it's a great story. Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. He inspires the people to rebuild their lives, to rebuild the wall, but also to rebuild their lives spiritually. And I think that it's a great uh, example of what leaders can do and what people can do and uh, a group of people can do when they really put their mind to it and they... Unite behind a dream and get busy, and they do that. So they decide to rebuild the wall. God has already worked powerfully and provided all the supplies that they needed. So we get to chapter 3, and that's where we were. We started there last week, and we're going to pick up sort of part 2 of last week's lesson. And uh, if you were here, you know that it really describes what initially just seems to be a necessarily detailed, even redundant account of them rebuilding this wall. And it just is a bunch of names of people that uh, 
names that we can't pronounce and that we would never name our children, um, who are listed as participating in building and leading in the building of sections of this wall. And so they started at the Sheep Gate. And I'm sure you all know that the Sheep Gate is in the northeast corner of the Wall of Jerusalem. You all knew that, right? And the reason that any of you know that is because I said it last week. Number one. And number two, you, you may have paid attention. And number three, you actually remembered that I said that. But they started there, and it's a beautiful description of a very simple but profound plan that Nehemiah puts in place where 42 sections of the wall, they start at the northeast corner at the Sheep Gate. If we're looking at a map and north is up and south is down, they go counterclockwise. And throughout chapter 3, it describes how they get all the way back to the beginning. And we'll just read to remind you uh, the first five verses of chapter 3. I don't think we'll need to go any further than that. Elias, the high priest, his family priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. That's where they started. They dedicated, set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of a Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanil. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section. And Zakur, son of Emmanuel, or Emery, excuse me, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassaniah. They laid its beams, put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Bechariah, son of Mehezobel. Don't laugh. Made the repairs. Next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Interesting little footnote there. You know, sometimes there's some people, you see that even in the church, that they just feel like they're above the, you know, getting their hands dirty and above the work. Fortunately, there were very few people like that in Jerusalem or in the surrounding areas. And so here they go, start with the sheep. They went to the fish gate. By the way, if you want to read the story, later on you're going to find there's a dung gate. Very exciting if you happen to live near the Dung Gate. Because I'm assuming that the Sheep Gate was called the Sheep Gate because that was the primary way that those who were shepherds took their sheep in and out of the city at night. And I'm assuming the Fish Gate was because that was the place where those who peddled fish would bring in their fresh fish and sell it in the city. And they would go back and forth. So I'll leave it to you to figure out uh, what they did at the Dung Gate. So anyway, there's uh, 10 gates, 42 sections of the wall. And the great news is they divided up the work this way into smaller groups. And every group did their part. And the wall was able to be rebuilt. So the title of the lesson, this is part two, is uh, Small Groups That Work. Because I believe it is a wonderful illustration of how God's church spiritually should be built today. We take all the needs that can be overwhelming in all of uh, what's going on in our lives, in our church, in our communities. And it just seems like it's so much. Where do you get started? But if you divide up, so to speak, you get small groups that do their part of the work. Then together we're able to do something that's even more magnificent. 
better together than we are apart. Small groups that work. These were small groups that rebuilt the wall. And I believe, I certainly know that in this church, we are a church not with small groups. We are a church of small groups. And small groups really define our membership. Now, you may know this already, but this has become very uh, trendy in the last uh, several decades. Many evangelical churches, Protestant churches, really uh, have really adapted and jumped onto and grabbed hold of this small group ministry thing. It's actually interesting because it's a very old idea that's just become new again. You know how that happens sometimes? It's kind of like bell-bottoms. Because bell-bottoms are in, right? No. Maybe that wasn't a good illustration. I thought bell-bottoms... Somebody told me they were coming back, so... You, you have two pairs? Now, see, Darby is 15 years old. She's cool. She sings in the band. Plays a guitar. All you people listen up. She just told me bell bottoms are coming back. And she's got two pairs. The rest of the girls in the front row are... They don't know, do they, Darby? You know, it's up to us that are cool to lead the way. So, Mary Kay, next week we're getting the bell bottoms out. We're coming. Oh, yeah, I kept them. That's why I'm trying to lose weight so I can fit back into them. Those, my bell bottoms are from the 70s. And if you weren't born in the 70s, you probably missed bell bottoms. You wanted to miss them, yeah. Look on some of the old album covers from classic rock. You'll see a lot of bell bottoms. Anyway, it's become... Can we get back to the Bible here? You people are so distracting. I don't know how I ever get through a sermon. No wonder I have to preach two or three versions of a sermon. We may have to have part three next week now. Tell Seth Jensen not to come. No, but it's become trendy, small group ministry. And, uh, but it's really been around a long time. Actually, I think, in looking at the Bible, maybe it goes back to the time of Moses. If you know the story, Moses was leading this huge group of people out of Egypt and they had a lot of problems, and Moses was overwhelmed. And so what did he do? Because of the advice of his father-in-law, Jethro, divided the people into groups of a thousand, hundred, fifties, and tens. And in that way, in those smaller groups, they were able to handle the issues and such. So they build the, uh, rebuild the wall. Let's, uh, we talked about small groups last year, last week. The title, Small Groups That Work, actually has double meaning. Because what I want to make this application, I want us to examine what we're doing with small groups in this church. If you're new to this church, then perhaps this will be an opportunity for you to learn what we're doing with small groups in this church. Small groups that work. There's two meanings to that. One, small groups that work and are functional. Does that make sense? In other words, they're not... These don't, have small groups, but they're functional. They're something's getting done. They're effective. The other is small groups that work. You know, like expend energy and sacrifice and do things. Right? right? Now they're related, functionality and work, but 
The work part's very important. We just read here where there are a group of nobles. And, you know, fortunately, as they go through the whole list, these were the only ones that were mentioned. You know, I hope the men of Tekoa make it to heaven. But, you know, when we get there, I don't want to be one of those men. Then we have to answer, well, what was up with you guys? Why was everybody else working and you weren't? Right? But small groups need to work. You know, uh, all of these people that rebuilt the wall, they did this in their spare time. Did you realize that? A lot of them were married. A lot of them had children. They had jobs. Whatever they were doing to exist, they didn't stop doing any of that. They didn't stop being husbands, mothers, having families, or doing their work. I guess they just worked extra hours. But they sacrificed. And that's what it's going to take. Not just from the small group leaders, but from everybody in here. We're going to have to put in the time and the energy and do our part of the work to make things happen. You know, work is an interesting thing. I read a quote the other day. A guy said, uh, I forget who it was. He said, uh, you know... Work fascinates me. He said, I love work. I can watch other people work all day long. You know, the typical church, it's often said that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. God forbid if that's true in this church. God forbid if that's true in your small group. By the way, right now, uh, I want to just make sure, because I don't want to go any further without recognizing, uh, we have in our church, I'm going to talk about the small groups in our ministry, we have right now 11 uh, women's small groups, and we, or no, we have 11 men's small groups, 13 women's small groups that make up our ministry. Uh, we have others of you that, that are led, and then others that are uh, assisting them, co-leading with them. Uh, let's give a round of applause and express appreciation for our small group leaders here. I would have them. Uh, I would have them all stand, but they do not want you to know who they are. No, they they wouldn't want to be uh, recognized that way. And but see, it's the small group leaders maybe put in a little more work, but really. The way it's supposed to be is everybody's doing the work, right? They're just leading. They're just facilitating. We're a church of small groups, not just with small groups. Let me make sure you understand. A small group is a small number of people who have committed to meet together consistently to help each other with their lives. Of course, spiritually is a big focus, but it's not just that. It's helping people that are dealing with cancer and helping families that are dealing with cancer. But it's a small number of people who have committed to meet together consistently to help each other. If you're new to our church, generally in our church, the small groups are somewhere between four and eight. Some are a little smaller than that. Some get a little bigger than that. Uh, usually it's the small groups are, you know, the men are all meeting together. And the women are meeting together separately. Now, occasionally, if they're married couples, it's a great thing to do to get married couples together. And sometimes it's good to get the men and women together for different outreach activities and different fellowship opportunities. But a lot of times, especially when the small group is talking about uh, very close to the heart things and perhaps sin, temptation, 
challenges in their life. Uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense for the men and women to meet separately. The small groups are the place where broken people get fixed. Did I say that out loud? Small groups are where broke. You know, weekly worship services are not enough. Have you figured that out yet? Now, I like that we're here. And I like that we show up on Sundays. But, you know, the hour and a half that we have here is valuable. It's important. I like it. We get wonderful worship and we get people sharing at communion and sharing at uh, the contribution. Thank you, Tommy Johnson. Uh, I was really proud of Tommy today. I, I told him to be brief. And um, he was relatively brief. You cannot hope to control him. You can only hope to contain him. I thought we did that well today. But great things happen. Cheryl, there's a message from the Word. The Word of God and the message gives us sort of a, uh, you know, these are sort of some marching orders. And these are some, some sort of lets us know where we need to be going in a, in a big overarching kind of way. But where it really happens, and I said last week where the magic happens and where we see this applied and where we see our lives change and where we grow and we change is in the small groups. It's where broken people get fixed. You say, well, I'm not broken. This is not the church for you. This is real life God's way. Nobody here is pretending that they're not broken. We're all broken. Everybody here is broken. Fortunately, most of you realize that. But if you're not broken, we can't really help you, nor do you need our help. Now, if you want to stick around to help those of us that are broken, then perhaps you can uh, make a difference there. Small group is a place. You know, one of the reasons small group is so important on Sundays, if you notice... It's kind of, it's not really a conversation, is it? Now, some of you blurt things out loud and, you know, in unsolicited ways. And, you know, I just try to get past that. You know what I'm talking about, Kevin. Rob does it all the time. I would never do it if I was sitting there. Like, blurt out things. But it's not a conversation. It's basically a lecture. Somebody's talking to you and... You know, and, and so it's kind of one way. And yeah, you know, you could have some conversations before church or after church that are brief. But the small groups are a place where we sit in circles, not in rows. It's where you may have a leader and a facilitator, but nobody is, you know, above anybody else. It's a place where we all have the opportunity to mutually share our lives and encourage each other. It's an opportunity for a conversation. It's an opportunity for honesty. It's an opportunity for love to be expressed. And many of us have figured out it's where we really can find and experience the changes that we all need to have. Is that making sense to you? It really is. And so, like last Sunday, we started this conversation or at least this, uh, this message. And I was having a conversation in the newcomers gathering. 
It was great. We fantastic. We just talked about the lesson and people were able to make comments and ask questions and uh, look forward to doing it next month already. Again, it's it's a fantastic time. But one of the things I said to the newcomers and I would say to anybody who's visiting here today, the best way to figure out what this church is about, the best way, the best path to membership in this church is to join a small group, because that's where you're going to figure out what's going on. That's where you're going to experience real life God's way. That's really the heartbeat of our church, not what happens here on Sunday. Now, I hope in spite of the fact that I kind of denigrated Sunday, I hope you'll all show up again next week. (laughs) Something important happens here. But it's not even close to the essence of what this church is about. Everybody's with me there? Okay, last thing I want to do. And then I'm going to uh, share a brief story. But I'm going to, uh, you know, movies. This is for those of you who are uh, already in a small group. You know, if, uh, if you want to go watch, if you're thinking about watching a movie, maybe some of you are like, what, what do you, what's the first thing you do? You think you see a movie title? You know what I do? I go to Rotten Tomatoes and see how many stars it has there. Right? I go to some website and I figure out, and usually most when they're rating movies, they have five stars is the best, right? And then there's some uh, zero, to get zero stars occasionally. That's really bad. What was that movie that came out recently that was like, nobody liked it? No, not Star Wars. Gosh. I understand people, not everybody liked it, but you can't give that a zero. But anyway, anyway, there's zero to five stars. So here's the thing. Real quickly, I'm going to give you five things to evaluate your small group by. And so you evaluate how you think your small group is doing, that you're either leading or that you're a part of. And then at the end, you can sort of figure out. How many stars you get? You follow me there, Albert? Okay. Number one. These are just practical things. Does your small group meet every week? That is the gold standard. Meeting every week. I happen to know that not all, but most of our small groups do meet every week. If you're going to build family, if you're going to build closeness, You're going to need to meet consistently, and if you meet every other week, it's going to take you twice as long to get close as does meeting every week. That makes sense, right? may actually take you more than twice as long. But that's uh, number one. Your small group ideally meets every week. Number two, the focus of the small group is friendship and family. We're trying to build a spiritual family. We want to be friends. We act like friends. We talk like friends. We pursue friendship in the Lord. And that should be something that's attractive and helpful for all of us. That's number two. Number three, every member contributes. Not just every member shows up. You know, it's good if you show up to small group. It's even better if you contribute something. 
But showing up is a good place to start. But we all need to go, and if we all go with the idea that we're going to give, and we're going to share, and we're going to serve, and we're going to help, and we all have that mutual desire, then there's a great opportunity for things to happen. Number four. In the best small groups, the members also pair up for other times, pair up together for other times together during the week. Now, let's just say you meet once a week and you meet for about an hour and a half. In a small group, that's great because you could talk about a lot more stuff than you would ever get to talk about in here. But even then, you know, we have needs that may be even greater. One of the habits that we've had in this church since I started coming to this church is pairing up. Sometimes we call that discipleship partners. But we pair up and we meet outside of the small group. They're part of the small group, meets outside of the small group to share their lives and to be able to help each other. And so that's an important part. And the fifth thing is small groups should reach out and work out and work together to help other people become Christians. Other people follow Christians. In other words, it's not just we're inward focused looking at ourselves, but we're working together to reach out, make a difference in the community, help people to be followers of Jesus. Uh, Please take the opportunity to evaluate your small group in those five ways. And hopefully we can continue to grow and build our small group ministry. The last thing I want to, uh, I just want to close with this. Because uh, to me, it's a wonderful example of what we do have in this church and what our small groups are meant to be. We have a small group that, can I say this, is one of my favorites. It's a group of men led by uh, Kevin Field. See, you thought I was talking about your small group, and I wasn't. It's led by Kevin Field. Um, they, all the men in that group, either they're not married, or they're not married anymore, or their wives are not a part of the church here. Okay? They're a little older. We don't want to embarrass them by saying how long. But I will tell you this, uh, this group that Kevin Field leads have been together for 18 years. Now, that's a long time to put up with anybody. I mean, I'm, I've been married longer than that. And my wife is still putting up with me, so I'm praising God. They've been together for 18 years. One of the founding members, so to speak, of this small group, was a, a man that a lot of you know, Albert Hill. Albert has been, you know, I just, I have not been able to find anybody who has anything bad to say about Albert Hill. I'll just say that, and almost none of the rest of you could that be said about. It's real life, God's way, okay? I'm just, I feel like I need to be honest. Well, about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, Albert um, was experiencing some very severe personal challenges. Uh, his small group knew that. His health was beginning to fail. He had a lot of stress. There was not just physical stress, but emotional stress and spiritual stress. We knew Albert wasn't doing well. In fact, the Wednesday before the Sunday that I'm going to tell you about, I went over to meet with Albert and his small group at their request because they wanted me to see 
to meet with him and see how we could help Albert, perhaps, because he was really in a bad way. And so I went and met the group and we were concerned, but uh, we would do what we could. and We prayed. And then the following Sunday it was in March last year. It was our first outdoor service of the year. And we came to the outdoor service and Albert wasn't there. Remember that, guys? And we all met together briefly right afterwards because we were expecting Albert to be there. And he wasn't answering the phone. They were calling him. He wasn't answering. So we sort of, you know, I don't think any of us ate lunch that day. We just said, you know, we need to get in the car and go over to Albert's apartment because he's not answering the phone. We expect to see him in a day. It's a good thing we went. We went over right after the church. It's a good thing we did because we had to call the apartment manager to break in the apartment. Albert had suffered a stroke and collapsed on the bathroom floor in his apartment. And if we had not gotten there when we did, there's a good chance that he would have died that day. However, that didn't mean it wasn't serious what happened to him. Albert has been hospitalized for a full year now. And he's made some progress. If you've been to see him, and I know a lot of you have, then you already know this. He can't communicate, but he can understand you. And uh, if, you, if you're funny enough, he can kind of chuckle and half his mouth, you know, will smile. He smiles with his eyes. He's, uh, but he cannot communicate with you. I mean, we've even tried. I mean, hopefully he's going to get better. We've tried to... You know, hold up one finger of yes or two of no. He's just not able to do that. He's not able to communicate. But you know he hears you because his eyes light up and his face, half his face will go up and occasionally he'll utter a sound or something. This has been going on for a whole year. We pray for him to get better. His, you can go visit him. I've got the information in the bulletin almost every week and hopefully you will. But... Here's where the small group comes in. This group is so inspiring. Do you know that every Wednesday for a whole year, because they meet weekly. They're one of the groups that meets every week. Despite the fact that they're married and have children, some of them, and all that, and they have jobs, they all meet at the Burbank Rehabilitation Center with Albert every Wednesday night. And they sing songs, and they pray, and they fellowship. Then frequently they'll go, and after they visited Albert, they'll go and they'll have dinner somewhere, and they'll get the Bible out and talk more about their lives spiritually. But they start every Wednesday night as a group. Isn't that, isn't that not a great story? It's a great story. Thank you. So I've known about this, and I actually went over, uh, I guess it was a Wednesday before last, and joined them for their uh, small group. I'm, I'm sure if any of the rest of you want to go out there on a Wednesday and join them when they go, um, it's a little less threatening if you go with somebody who knows Albert and his condition, because otherwise, you know, it's, I don't know if you've ever tried it, it's, it's a little challenging to visit somebody who cannot communicate with you. But see, that's what love does. And that's what small groups are supposed to be. They're supposed to be friends. They're supposed to be family. No matter what happens, you're, you're, you're there for each other. You're loyal to each other. You support one another. 
And that kind of thing, you may not have that in your small group to that degree, but that's the kind of thing that ought to be happening in every small group, is that we have that kind of friendship and loyalty and family that we're building, and that we're building that in our church as well. Small groups that work. Let's follow the pattern of Nehemiah, and uh, let's have the kind of small groups and the kind of relationships that uh, God wants us and will uh, wants to have will make make him proud. Let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, Nehemiah's example. Thank you for his vision. Thank you for you empowering that vision and the dreams that that gives for all of us. Uh, as we look at the wall being rebuilt, we see the significance and power of small groups and what they can do and what they should do. And we certainly see that throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, New Testament. Help us to imitate that pattern in this church. And to have a wonderful, effective small groups and small group ministry here. Uh, we pray for Albert that you would bring about a miraculous healing. And that uh, he won't just live, but he'll, a quality of life will be restored. Well, he'll be able to not just understand what we say, but to be able to communicate, to be able to move about, to get out of that hospital. Uh, just pray for your power to work mightily in his behalf. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.